Is, isn't there that myth of the guy who falls in love with his own phallus? Oh, I completely. Oh my word! I don't know about that one. <laughs> that, that is the thing. Is there's a mythological mo origins and history of consciousness? I think they talked about that. I think the you're little... probably confusing lots of things there, but no, no, no. It's like like the little vegetable boys who who are obsessed with their own phalluses, and oh, then when they go and meet the oh, gods, right, right. They... Well, phallus is a god. <clears throat> Certainly for some people. <laughs> welcome back everybody to young to live by absolute pleasure to see you here once again and welcome back to our series ask a depth psychologist this is episode 11 of this series and if you've been keeping count we, st well, we started off by saying this would be once a month and of course we started in january it is now june so 11 it doesn't really make any sense because we're kind of doing them as and when we have the demand and the demand is rising we have about 20 questions in the bank so we're going to bash these out as quickly as we possibly can while still giving the questions as much depth that they actually deserve. So if you want to get involved in this, of course, you can subscribe at the $10 tier or higher on Patreon, and you can dump your questions in the hashtag AskAdeptPsychologist channel on the Discord, and just sort of, as and when they come up, as many questions as you want, within reason, please, and then we'll get to them as soon as we can. So thank you, everybody, for your patience, of course. We've got three questions today. Uh, the first one is all about mother complexes. Someone who's watched our video on complexes that we did a few weeks back or so, and they're interested in the idea of the mother complex, negative mother complex, stuff like that. So that was a pretty good answer, I think. Uh, the next one is all about the parents. So there is this idea of bringing in Anthony Stevens to explain some stuff about the parents and unactualized potential being acted out through the child. It's kind of an interesting idea and there's the idea of the, of the flying Dutchman that's associated with that too. So we want to get sort of a mythological motif in there too. So I think we gave some pretty good answers to that. Or oh, Stephen Pauline gave pretty good answers to that one, of course. Um, and then for the, for the final question, it's all about, again, Stephen Pauline's individuation marriage. It's, um, it is a thing. It is an interesting thing, isn't it? It's like, what's the difference between that and a normal relationship it's not an obvious thing it's like like what do you guys do all day just read each other's dreams you know that might be the impression one might get or maybe there's a mystical quality to it what is what is it that makes that different not necessarily better but different to a normal relationship so that's what we're going to find out today but from now i'm going to go back into the past and ask Stephen pauline the first question this question comes from Matt B, and he asks, I found the podcast on complex is really helpful. Based on what you've said, it's easy to see how a negative mother complex might disrupt the ability of a man, let's say, to relate with the world, since the relating factor by which he does so is so closely aligned with the mother complex, whether positive or negative. If I understand correctly, the problem in such a case where the man's mother complex carries a negative charge is essentially that his anima is not adequately differentiated from the complex of emotions associated with his mother, and so cannot be used properly to relate with the world. Negative elements of the mother complex always creep in and disrupt or discolour the relation. Jung says somewhere that this sort of projection can, quote, only be resolved when he sees that there exists in his psyche not only the image of the mother, but also of the daughter, the beloved, the chthonic baobo, if that's how you pronounce it, end quote. Something like that. I've grappled with this passage for a long time, but have never felt I adequately understand him here. What does he mean by this? Am I way off track? Many thanks, as always. What do you guys think? Well, um, I don't think you're way off track at all because you just lifted pretty much directly what he has to say in that specific context. It's certainly true that the relating function can be shaped negatively or positively by experiences of the mother, for example, or indeed of any significant contributor to the development of, of your relating function. Yeah, so the mother complex can certainly intrude. The, the key thing to remember it 
again about this is that the anima as relating function relates internally and externally so everything that you encounter whether it's an interpretation of the inner world or the outer world passes through that and then there's a relationship to the ego or the ego with respect to the relating function as well so the state of the relating function as the anima complex for example overall will determine what factors intrude we would probably prefer to look at this from a systems-based perspective because it's a bit tighter in respect of how well you can resolve down what's really going on. But from my understanding of the way that the question has been phrased, I, I would suggest it's actually quite simple paradoxically rather than the complexity that appears to be present. Insofar as yes, anything negative that affects the anima complex, including the mother complex, will affect your relating. He seems to be suggesting in that quote that you can model relating more efficiently to overcome that if you consider other relationships you mentioned the beloved I believe James in that quotation well that can be just simply something that you acquire through ongoing experience of relating to women on the outside but remember of course that the fact that we're talking about females here whether it's the mother or a beloved in the outer world is still projection of the relating function. The relating function fundamentally is separate to anything it may be projected onto. So just think of it as being gender neutral. It's just a function. So you can choose, if you like, consciously, when you're aware of what you're doing, to allow a complex like the mother complex to continue to interfere with that, even if earlier in life it was, in some sense, a determinant of how it's been shaped. You can choose, once you become conscious, to disentangle yourself from its effects. And it's the same with people that we meet in the outside world. We're socially modelling, socially learning all the time, through our persona, if you like, in a Jungian sense, as a continual updating and interaction of our persona and of our external relating. We tend, however, though, to neglect the internal relating. We leave that, generally, to complexes. And if the mother complex has been undeveloped or unchallenged, then that can run rampant on the inside. So very often the way that we relate to the inner world is more decisive, perhaps paradoxically, than the influences we've had on the outside overall. So I would suggest that you, you begin to disentangle yourself, if it's you that you're talking about in this instance, from the effects of the, the mother complex negatively on the inside. You can do that by becoming conscious. It's really fairly simple, except of course that the process in and of itself can be less than simple. It can be quite difficult and quite emotional. But the actual thing that you have to go through in terms of defining it is simple disentangle from the negative influences on the inside and then interact positively on the outside. That way you'll refine your relating function properly. You can't do that though if you're not conscious of the negative effects that are operating internally and they're the ones that we tend to neglect. Even in introverts, they're surrounded by it if you're introverted, you're surrounded by this stuff all the time but you're still not fully conscious of it. You're just surrounded by it whereas extroverts tend to move away from it and neglect it that way by working in the outer world. And all that happens then is that you can set up a polarity of inner and outer 
and they're in conflict and that conflict is felt by the individual personality as it struggles to adapt so in both cases I'd suggest disentangle from the inner image and then readapt externally and then as your persona ups, updates itself to where you're at now you will update in effect your functional personality which is your adaptation in the moment so that's what I, I would say on that how about you love um, it's hard to know which perspective to come at that from because obviously this is a man's psychology isn't mm. it as opposed to uh, a woman's um, I guess so in terms of the relating function I think you're right you've got to be able to define those inner characteristics mm. so as you know what you're up against on the inside yes um, because if you don't do that then it will slip into just about everything you do yes and we, we, we've talked recently um, about the way um, the negative anima and the negative animus works in, in terms of occupying a person's dominant function. That's true. So you've got yeah. to kind of, it, it, it's useful I think to try and catch it in action if you yeah. possibly can because that's where it's operating, that's where it's operating um, in the outer world usually too and um, this is it, it's, it's, a, it's actually a very active process mm. isn't it, mm. uncovering complexes it is. and dismantling them or transforming them and liberating the energy that that they um, acquire and um, you really do need to have that cast of mind I think where you you decide that you, you're kind of going to go for it mm. and uh, you, you're going to observe yourself in, in a way that maybe you've never observed yourself before and also that you're open to feedback from other people from people you know that you trust if you have a kind of a trusted circle of people who you know um, aren't out to, to hurt or harm you in some way to see if, if, if they catch it mm. in action mm. so I think there's a lot of very practical things you Absolutely. can do um, in order to chase this thing down and, and when you do you might surprise yourself it might be good grief yes I, I didn't realize I was doing that or doing that thing in that way and I, and suddenly you have a light bulb moment it's a moment of consciousness and um, if, if you do that if you pre prepared to go in and be forensic about it you'll be surprised just how much you can mm. you can sort these things out yeah, and there you have it theory and practice <laughs> the, be the best possible combination definitely 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 thank you matt appreciate you and we move on to the next question which comes from the bewildered one not quite sure why he's so bewildered because his question is quite articulate <laughs> here we go he's bewildered he's, he's, yes, he's got a very, very sharp yeah very incisive yes. mind yeah indeed indeed so uh, you, uh, bewildered one begins with a quote from on young by anthony stevens and it goes as such so good parents are those who actualize enough of the parental archetypes for us to complete the business of childhood and move on to the next stage of life. But what they leave unactualized persists as unconscious potential, which will continue to seek fulfillment as individuation proceeds. The less adequate the parents, the greater the unfulfilled potential, the more ravenous the parent hunger and the more obsessive the flying Dutchman quest. Generally speaking, wrote Jung, all the life the parent could have lived, but of which they thwarted themselves for artificial motives, is passed on to the children in substitute form. That is to say, the children are driven unconsciously in the direction intended to compensate for everything that was left unfulfilled in the lives of the parents. And then the bewildered one goes on and says, I understand the Flying Dutchman quest as a seeking of redemption, but misfiring from one dependent relationship to another. 
But is Jung suggesting here that the shadow of the parents, the unconscious instincts unfulfilled through lifespan development and lack of alignment with the self, transfers to the child? In essence, does the child pay for the sins of the parents' lack of individuation? What would the biological implications for this be? If so, what do you think? Biologically, um, well, specifically biologically, <clears throat> you, you'll know this as a biologist yourself, James, that there are usually benefits from things which don't appear to be beneficial at all. So I would suggest then that the, the biological advantage is that it, it creates variation in attempts at correcting for things. So although it, it's not optimal and it does cause problems, then there will be people who will either stumble into a new adaptation by accident or who will develop themselves consciously to the point where they generate new strategies and new adaptations. And actually, if, if you look at how the history of psychotherapy, even more than psychology as such, uh, has unfolded, it's generally the, the history of people who realise they were neurotic and maladapted and had to come up with some kind of strategy to deal with that and along the way developed a general theory which could be of use to other people so you can see then in the social product of psychotherapy in the various schools several different attempts at overcoming what is essentially that specific problem that's been highlighted by Nick so on a biological and therefore a cultural scale bearing in mind that the two interact it's not it's not just nature it's not just nurture it's the interaction of those two nuances between those polarities um, you can get an example perhaps even an exemplary example as such in the history of psychotherapy Jung himself uh, said that his own model was an attempt basically to understand himself and that he believed the same was true of Freud and of Adler so I think yeah in a general sense and as we go through personal development that's what we're trying to do most of us we're, we're trying to understand what's happened to us in terms of our maladaptations in some people that will generate a neurosis that doesn't produce anything other than a distressed life in others there will still be suffering but they will make an attempt to change and a proportion of them will be people who will provide a way out for other people from their own experience of maladaptation so yeah i think biologically and therefore culturally th there will be some advantages to that what do you think paul in, in general terms um I, yeah i'd probably have a couple of practical comments to, mm. to make on that uh one would be that um at one level as parents you do actually only have to be good enough Mm. to raise a child from from birth to adulthood in terms of what you provide mm. for them and it, it depends on the starting point of the parent and it depends on the starting point of the child so in, in, in other words to come back to bi biology mm. uh, the hand that you dealt genomically yeah um, and it might be that actually the parents don't have a great deal of potential at all um, except in so much as they, they can maybe provide the most basic things for that child or, or for their children in order to get from birth to adulthood. Um, and um, it, it may be too that, that you children, uh, it, it could even be that your children have less potential than you do. There are a whole yeah. number of permutations, aren't there, that go on yeah. here. So it just depends what your um, your starting point is. But I, I certainly think if you have parents who are um, 
and I think it's implicit maybe in, in um, what you're saying that maybe did have potential that they didn't fulfill and that you can you can look back and you can see that that to some extent the children of those parents or the child of those parents will be burdened by that mm. um you know children do typically tend to live out the unlived life lives of their parents um and it's not always in a positive direction either um as uh, you know there's probably all sorts of examples that you you could give for that you know the the uh, the vicar's son who becomes the criminal or, or whatever we could we can name a give a whole host of examples so i really do just think it, it depends on what the starting point of the parents is and what the starting point of the child is as well and and like you said that, that's something that is innate that's dictated at birth and uh, so everybody's context is is very individual mm. Mm. um but uh, certainly with respect to um to Nick, it's quite clear that he has a huge amount of potential, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and that whatever hand he was dealt in terms of his parents, uh, he's he's more than compensating for that now. And very mm. positively, I might yeah, add. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's probably what I'd have to say. On yeah. That. Well, we know we know Nick quite well. We uh, do. So we can make that positive statement yes. with uh, with great confidence yes. on the basis of that we do know him well. Yes. I, I, just to add to what you two were saying, just a little extra thing, because as, as I keep talking to guys on consultations over on the Patreon, the more I learn and the more patterns I get to sort of pick up. And as we've been talking about the personal myth, obviously it's important to go back into the past and see the hand that you were dealt and see the reality of things. But there does there does tend to be a thread through some of the people I talk to, which is more of a... It, it, it goes towards a very strong focus on the past to the point where you almost get lost in the personal myth. And it's like, yeah, I can understand that, especially if you're more introverted. Uh, but yeah, no matter what the hand you you were dealt, it's useful to go back and process the wound. But the point is the future and will have to be the future. You know, especially in that first question, it's like, well, about a negative mother complex. And obviously, we don't know the details, but for most people, a negative mother complex can be overcome through relating to an outside woman. And that's the future. That's that's moving forward. So it's like, yeah, if if you if you're living out the unactualized potential through through the parents, it's like, well, yeah, yeah. Focus on who you want to be, the energy that calls you in, in into the future. Especially if there's no massive amount of suffering involved. I, I would say, just be my two cents on that. Yeah, yeah. You have to know you're doing it, don't you? This is the problem with all things. If if there's no um, if there's no awareness, no consciousness that that is indeed what you're doing, that, that you can't correct for it. No. And and you don't choose the hand that you dealt. You don't choose the parents that you get. And and, and some people get a, get a very bad deal. If, a, if, if I think back even to my own situation, I probably wouldn't have chosen my parents. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously you like to believe as parents that you'll do a better job yourself when your turn comes. But you you can't know whether that's right for the children that you get. Yeah, um, it, it, it's all of these things that are uncertain. And, and so we all just have to adjust to the hand that we've been dealt in, in, in whatever way is best. And I think you're right, James. I think the focus has to be on the future rather than the maladaptations of the past. There's, no, there's nothing to be gained by that. Uh, once you've actually acquired the necessary insights and, and then it, it's time for action. It's time to implement the necessary changes in the world. And 
you know if you if you haven't got what you need from your own parents for whatever reason then you can still dip into to the archetypes you can still find other relationships in the outside world um that will allow you to to engage uh, in a way that maybe that you couldn't with your own parents so you can still access all of these things you just have to usually do it in other ways yeah can, can, thanks paul can, can i just add something there nick if that's okay sorry yes sir james and nick um this idea of going back into the past um those who are familiar with the introductory level of the personal myth as i've suggested it through uh, the discord yes absolutely the whole point of going back is not to stand still it's just to give yourself an impression consciously of what may be the subtext of your life that's been running all along it is not to regress or to infantilize yes. you um going back will allow you to reconstellate previous ego states previous ego states because the level of consciousness that you may have had at the age of five is different to that which you may have in well it will be at any mm. age pretty much mm. in the future from that if you go back in a particular way and there are techniques of doing this you can reconstruct a level of consciousness which matches that of the past the dangers inherent in that though are that of course false memory recovered memory that kind of thing um but also as i said infantilizing yourself by becoming like that your whole world will shrink if you do that so the real purpose of going back is to find other things that are concealed by the negative memories the, the essentials of yourself which are positive and which were forward looking that may have become lost in the through line of your life this is why we're completely different from so-called inner child therapy for example which is a totally different thing and something that we would not support mm. no not at all also yeah. why it's completely different from the kind of manufactured artificial uh, construct that say a traditional analytic transference would create which does infantilize particularly if it has a freudian mm. emphasis but a young one can do this as well it's completely different from that you go back in order to find yourself as in what that part of yourself expected wanted anticipated and pushed you towards achieving in the future so when you find that difference you've got a definition of the mismatch between your potential and what you've actualized up until this point mm. it's not to go back and stay there it's not to go back and to infantilize yourself so just to clear that up obviously mm. that that needs an awful lot more explication because there's a lot more to it yeah. but you don't go back for any other reason than to find the point at which you lost your way and also uncover the potential which your genome knew and still knows is latent within you and why you're under pressure from your instincts and your genome as a whole right now that's why you feel stressed if, if you're feeling those kinds of pressures because you're expected by your genome to release your potential mm. uh, not to become a child again when you're an adult mm. definitely not that's dangerous don't do it mm. so just to clear that up yes and then if you can't access that potential through relationship to your own parents mm. then you can 
do it in other ways yeah. through other men and women who are out there. There are, yeah. there are many mothers and there are many fathers out mm. there, many ways and styles of doing things. Yeah. And that's why, for example, um, you know, say in Chinese traditions, they're, yeah. they're very uh, much plugged into that, into the idea are, of, yeah. of a family. Mm. Or, you know, it might be that this is why young men go in, into the services because, mm. again, they're, they're looking um, for an, an alternative family or they're looking for some kind of mentorship from other um, adults. Yeah. So yeah. The, there are still many, many ways of accessing these things, even if you've been dealt a bad hand. Yeah, and the, the Chinese tradition, they have a saying, for example, a teacher for a day is a father for life. Yes. If uh, in a traditional Chinese culture, if you're accepted as a pupil in whatever discipline that might be uh, by a father figure mm. and they openly call him father, they do. You know, mm. uh, then that's it for life at that point. Uh, yes. If if you're errands, of course, as a pupil, then there are sanctions built into that. Mm. But the implication from both sides of that equation, that, that socio-cultural equation, are the same which is that if you commit to a second third or fourth father in whatever area that is then there's a reciprocal commitment to you and even confucius from a slightly different background with respect to chinese tradition said one in three is a teacher so you're going to find these other fathers these other mothers all over the place if you but look but pick the right one if you pick the wrong one then the outcome is not going to be very nice at all all right, thank you, Nigel, for your question. Really appreciate that, as always. The next one comes from Mountain Sheffer. And Mountain Sheffer says, Hello, I'm new here. I want to start by thanking Steve, Pauline, and James for creating this community and all the great videos and pamphlets, etc. I also want to thank all the members of the community who are so interesting and informative. I've learned a lot just reading what's already here, especially in the library section. This is already beginning to feel like an essay, so sorry in advance. Lol. I have some questions about Steve and Pauline's individuation marriage. First of all, can anyone have one or do you need to be depth psychologists? Is it simply two people who are married and supporting each other's individuation or do you individuate as a couple as well? In the shadow integration video and the handout, you talked about how there can be a shadow at any level of collectivity. Does that mean you would do shadow work on your shared shadow? If so, would you also have a shared personal myth and so on? All of this brings me to the question I think I really want to ask, which is, do you think you could have other kinds of individuation relationships? Like, if several people want to go into business together, would they be able to, or even benefit from, having an individuation business, or team, or friendship, or society, etc.? If so, do you have any thoughts on how to go about doing so? Those are really good thoughts, actually. I'm they interested are to, to really the answer very to interesting question, isn't it? Mm. Uh, well, yeah, I think they're all possible. Yes. Um, they're all possible. Obviously, we, we didn't start out married. You know that that, that, that followed after an appropriate period of time. Um, although, to be honest, I I would have married her immediately, but she was too young, and we had to get past um, her parents, who were obstructive, to say the least. Yeah. That's another story. Yeah. But um, yeah, any relationship can be an individuation one, uh, but we didn't know how it would end up. Uh, it's like an a priori thing to the goal you know i think if you if you're to enter a relationship of this kind uh, and, and say i want this to be an individuation relationship that is like a business transaction whereas it's a process it was a process and uh, i was very lucky extremely lucky i, I hope she was too i don't know <laughs> i have to ask her lucky in the sense that, that we worked it through but we had to suffer we had to suffer a great deal yeah to uh, disentangle 
the, the crap that we'd both acquired up until that point in our lives. And then as we adjusted to being together, and we still do, we still do. And, and yes, um, a relationship will have its own shadow and will have its own myth. Um, you could resolve that down to the level, for example, to talk about complexes, um, of a family complex which Jung discovered and proved that these things existed when he did his psychophysiological stress testing and word association tests with families. And you can get the original material with all the results from that in volume two of his collected works, Experimental Researches. So families, relationships do share a psychological environment. They do have a common set of beliefs. Um, it's an emergent process from whatever is in, if it's a couple, it's in a relationship from what's within both of you. And then whether you make um, a decision to to develop that or not. It's entirely possible to know nothing about Jungian depth psychology and to have an individuation marriage. Entirely possible. You don't need to know anything about that. It's just a process that unfolds uh, through a genuine attempt at relating, which is another reason why I don't prefer, under ordinary conditions, unless it's theoretical ones, to talk about the anima and the animus, only the relating function, because pretty much most people get that, unless they've had mm. young stuff between their ears, and then everything they hear has to be filtered through this this model. But real people don't know about these things, but they still relate. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's still that natural understanding that if you find someone, whether it's the same sex or opposite sex or whatever sex, you know, that if you relate to that person through your relating function and that's reciprocal, and then there's a commitment, you will get somewhere with that. If though you mean specifically Jungian, uh, well, Carl Jung has been a feature, or his model has been a feature of our life together for 42 years, right from the get-go, in fact, from just before, because before we were actually together, I would uh, trail man and his symbols in front of 16-year-old <laughs> Pauline, you know, and uh, try and impress her with it and say, look, this is this is the path we can go on. Uh, and then I'd scare of a few of a few stories about out-of-body experiences and active imaginations and meditations and so forth. Uh, and it didn't put her off. So you could say that was shit testing in a way. I was testing to see whether that would put her off or she would want to join the journey. And she did, fortunately, because it's enhanced and enriched my life. And I would never have been without that. So, yeah, you can have it within a, a relationship. You could have it within a corporate body, an organisation, and people do. People do have values within an organisation. They do aspire to those values. The difficulty, though, is that an organisation is made up of individuals, and people bring their individual psyche to a group, just as they do to a dyadic relationship like this, a two-person relationship. Mm. And uh, a group is a system that self-regulates with intolerances that are agreed upon. If, however, those tolerances break down because one or more of the component members of that system has issues that are being influenced either outside of that system or t internally to them, then that will break down or it will readjust to another set of tolerances. So you can have, for example, a religion, you know, without being too specific, that on the surface has very good intentions and regulates and contains people that go through it, but it's people going through it. Uh, and then you get 
deviations, shall we say, from what the ideal of that organisation, that religion, should be, and then the system will adjust to contain them, perhaps even conceal them, as in, let's be honest, the kind of uh, things that go on in the sense of exploiting and abusing children within the Christian church. It's the complete shadow of what they say they are, but it's people and it's instincts and it's the perversion of instincts and it's the expression of power. All of those things go on. So the system of an organisation has to be very, very tight or has to be very, very loose. And it has to, in the latter case, want to contain the integrity of the appearance of the system beyond the actual substance of that system. So it will self-regulate to contain its darker side. So it will be harder with a group. Not impossible. Um, you can be in any kind of relationship to individuate. And you can do it on your own. It is possible. But that is exceptional. Because we're meant to be social. We're, we're meant to interact. Um, we're meant to, to live out our genome. And actualize relating, reproduction, personal developments. All of these things are within us. And we are, we are pushed to a greater or lesser degree. Or a greater or lesser extent. All of us individually. And out of that chaos, some kind of order emerges, which is the life of an individual in their context. So, yeah, I think it's entirely possible. Well, what are you going to say now? That it was, <laughs> it's what to add to that, isn't it, really? Well, you could say it was a... I was so disappointed. I had no idea I was going to be led to all this crap. And I thought you were this, this wonderful, heroic policeman. And it turns out you were into all sorts of weird stuff and... Uh, you probably hypnotised me without me knowing it, and that's why I'm with you, and I could have done so much better in my life. How about that? Is, is that a possibility? <laughs> Don't answer. Well, what I was going well, to take say... Take your time, take your time, <laughs> don't you? you know, go on, take your time. <laughs> yeah, what were you going to say? Oh, we were both very young, obviously. Yeah. Me particularly. Yeah, you at particularly. At the get-go. Yeah, at the get-go, yeah. And we had an awful lot of opposition. We did. Didn't we? Yeah. Which in some ways was grist to the mill. It is. In some ways. Yeah. Um, because if you feel that you've got something special, then you protect it at all costs. You do, yeah. And we were saying recently, actually, because obviously the, the, when we got together, there were very different times to the times that people live in now. Yeah. And there weren't all the distractions of the internet no. and, and, and so on. And uh, people sitting, you know, uh, texting one another rather than talking to one mm. another. So... One of the things that's always persisted, I think, for us right from the very start was conversation. Yeah. And it's something we've always done and continue to do. Um, mm. uh, and before lockdown, <clears throat> then we would we, we had this thing of regularly going somewhere. It doesn't really matter where yeah. uh, some kind of social situation. And we would just talk. Mm. And we've always talked. Yeah. Um, and I think because you were that little bit older mm. than me, mm. then you said this yesterday actually in the podcast we, we we did yesterday that um sometimes in relationships one person has to take the lead yeah um and i think because you were a little bit older and a bit more experienced yeah. and you you'd read more then that person was you to start with yeah. to start with mm. yeah. yeah so someone ha somebody has to do that they do but then i guess i was receptive you were to that and to those ideas so it wasn't as if you um you know that that wasn't a uh, a turn off at all quite no. quite the opposite so um there are just some things which have been 
pivotal, I think, yeah. to our lives and yeah. um, which have sustained us through all sorts of difficulties. Um, yeah. And, and they have, I think they have been, in broad terms, the capacity to talk and to talk around things. And we're probably each other's biggest critics, aren't oh, we, God, really? Oh, yeah, God, definitely. You know, we're, we're yeah. not... Um, yeah. You know, you, you can't be a snowflake in our household. No, you won't no, last no, very long. No, no, so we've we've had to be we've had to be open to that. Yeah, we, we have. Yeah, we have. That, that's that's part of that development, isn't yes, it? Because it we, is. we see each other's shadows. Yes, we do. And you know, we see each other's anima and animus. We see them. We experience them. Yes. And uh, how that triggers things off in us, and then also. It helps you to regulate your own responses to that reflexively, so mm. you grow on the inside. Yeah. And that's still there, day in and day out. Yeah. She analyzes my dreams, I analyze hers, and uh, my moods and vice versa, and, and the waveform of my life. So if it didn't have that, I'd have run aground probably, or I'd have probably ended up going you know, off in some weird direction. Uh, so I, I did need that. You've, you've got to want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not for everyone. No. And and some people, I think, like you were saying, Steve, you, you could argue just just do it naturally without calling it that, they do. or without having those concepts to hand. Yeah. Uh, they just manage as a system to kind of regulate one another and to learn from one another and mm. to, and to adapt and mm. and to develop themselves. So, mm. um, I, I think it's so long as you want that, then then that's something that's open to to anyone and everyone. Yeah. Um. Just, just to sort of think, thinking about the, the second part of the question, which was to do mm. with organisations and, and, and working life too. One thing I think we have done in, in our lives away from this is to some extent to try and carry that over. Mm. I, mean, I don't mean to impose it on people, but no. in terms of the, the, the working relationships we have, yeah. we do try and... I guess be mindful of the fact that if we ask somebody to do something that they do it in such a way that it develops them yeah. um so whether it's we're working with an artist or, or an actor yeah. or, or a director or whoever that in terms of their involvement that they benefit in oh, some way from absolutely. the overall process yeah. so yeah. it does it does leak over in, into that mm. To some extent, as well, doesn't it? And yeah. um, I think that's been a positive thing. Yeah, you can be you can be uh, <coughs> aiming for individuation, but still be socially adapted, which is important. Yes. So it's not individualism. Jung himself said that. Uh, and I guess the more content you <coughs> are with your own um, tolerances and your own boundaries, and the more accepting you are of yourself, the more likely you are to be accepting of difference in others yeah. and uh, mm. seeing variation in other people as being valid. Mm. Uh, and again, in the clinical uh, sense, that's so important because you meet so many people and uh, they're all so different and they'll have completely different views. Mm. If you don't feel secure in yourself, you'll probably go on the attack rather than allow people you know, the dignity, the, the respect for being different. Yes. Um, in a pluralistic sense. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's important yeah. too to not try and convert people. Oh, absolutely. Who, who are yeah. on a completely different path yeah. to you, but nonetheless yeah. are happy and adapted. Yeah. And I think in terms of social engagement too, that's important because, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it could be any encounter, couldn't it? In, yeah. the, in the most ordinary of circumstances. And, you know, whatever interaction that you you have with that person has to be 
respected you. I don't mm. think you should be looking to ferret things out no. all the time. No. I mean, sometimes people accuse us of this, don't they? That we must have our sort of psychotherapy yeah. heads on all the time. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. no is the yeah. answer to that. You'd be worn out very quickly you if would. you did that. You would. Um, it's better yeah. to just engage with people and engage with life and take people as you find them. And, and if something helpful happens along the way, that's great. Yeah. But if not, that's fine too. Yeah. So um, It's all about context, doesn't it? It is, definitely. It, if, if we're in yeah. context for that kind or this kind of work, then yes. we do it and we do it with a, a 100% yes. of our soul. I, and I would agree. And we're fully engaged. Yes. But we don't carry that over. If it's inappropriate, it's not there. No. Uh, that's probably the best bet but yes. within our own relationship then I uh, wouldn't trust anybody else to supervise my work or my own development other than Pauline and not because she's nice about it which people do think we've actually had that from within this profession they think that it's the easy option it isn't because no one could track me down and corner me more efe efficiently than Pauline they just couldn't get near me but she can and I hope vice versa. Yes, and of that, that's that's what it means to relate. Mm. Um, mm. You have an objectivity then within a relationship, yeah. which is not a separateness; it's a continuum um, between the two of you. You're part of a bandwidth of life, so that that helps helps me enormously. Yeah. It means I can trust her when she says I'm doing something wrong, or I need to adjust because there isn't that second sort of agenda which is based on some kind of hostility or, or, or whatever because I know she's worked herself through and out and it won't be being said for those purposes it'll be like you really do need to look at this or have you considered that or whatever so I can trust that to be clean um, you do have to trust that when you work in depth with someone because you don't know when you're working with someone you don't know about them you don't know about the life and the background what are they bringing through when they start to interpret your life and your situation what's there that's in their life what mm. what are the secondary gains coming from that relationship and so forth yeah so you have to be careful yeah hope that didn't stray too far from the question <laughs> james that's very sweet and very honest and i think it's noble of you to open up and and share that kind of stuff um yeah um as you say which is the key takeaway anyone can do it but there there is um you know, some of the guys watching, for for example, you might be the only one in your relationship who's into this kind of thing. And does it doesn't mean you know you have to sit and have a young to live by marathon every day, but you know that might help. But but no, it's simply a case of bring them on the same path. And as, as you say, it's, you don't have to put Jungian nomenclature into things. It's simply what are each other's shadows in colloquial terms? Where is everyone's else energy going? Why are they upset? That type of thing, rather than sort of coexisting or doing what you think one should do in a relationship. That's a really common one, especially in the generation above myself. So I guess I guess with, with you two, it's man does X, woman does Y. And it's like, well, those energies, yeah, they do seem to flow naturally, but also there is a case of relating to the other person. And that that is something, you know, looking at, say, friends, extended families, people just I know, that's, that's a rare thing to see. That's a very rare thing to see. It is a case of coexisting. So... Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you, oh, thank you. You, you need to learn from hmm. the other person as well. And I, I think I've, I've disclosed this before because I was older. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't that much older, but it, but uh, yeah, I was a police well, officer. Well, you had enough a, of a head start. I had quite a head start. Yes. And, and in terms of that psychology, I had a, had a head start. So it's seen potential. That That's the thing I saw in her. I And I intuited uh, hmm. terrific hmm. potential hmm. 
latency because it was suppressed within the family that she was in but nevertheless the potential that was there and not potential to be shaped but potential to live and therefore something I could benefit from but then it takes time and then after a while you have to say I have to set myself aside here because I've been leading from the front I'm gonna to have to stand alongside this lady now or even slip in behind metaphorically uh, and allow her to lead in order I can progress with my developments uh, and that's what it will be like with that I think we should probably close up the show today that's all right yeah, no okay. problem. Yeah. Yes, okay. Thank okay. you. Thanks, everyone. Blessings. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, everyone watching. Thank you, everyone who submitted a question. If you would like to join in with our roundtable that we do here every so often, it seems to be at random times at this point, just get through all the questions that we possibly have. We've got about 20 in the pipeline right now. Then you can do so by signing up at the $10 tier or higher on Patreon. Of course, we'd really appreciate that if indeed you've got a question that you want answered. So with that, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Steve, Pauline. Thank you, James. Thank, thank, you, thank you, everyone. Bye.